0: Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. My guest today is Paul Bailey, and we are going to talk about brand. Paul is the brand strategy director at Halo Studio in Bristol in the UK. And I wanted to have Paul on to talk about brand because I'm going to be teaching a brand management class later on this year to executive MBA students. I needed some content and some things to give to the students uh, to teach them certain aspects of branding. Uh, So the parameters that we set up for our conversations, we're going to talk about things like the top of the funnel, uh, research and purpose, uh, and a whole lot of interesting stuff. This is, I had four or five pages of notes, so this one's a really good one. Before we get to talking about Paul, though, I want to remind you to check out my friends at Cover Genius. Shell uh, Cover Genius has this really great tool that has become more and more important, which is Cancel for any reason, CIFAR. Um, it's come up in a bunch of conversations that we've been having with some of the guests lately. Um, it just it was a good reflection of where people are in the market. Um, there's still uncertainty that's going on. Uh, when we were in Seattle uh, on the panel with Joanne from Audience View and Kelly from the Playhouse Theater, uh, we talked about how the challenges that people are dealing with when making plans um, are impacting their ability to buy or their willingness to buy. So CIFAR is a great tool. So check it out at Cover CoverGenius. Uh, make sure you check them out if you're at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Birmingham later this month. Um, say hello from me. Um, it looks right now like I will not be able to make it this year, but you never know. Who knows? Things things get crazy around these parts. Um, get the Talking Tickets newsletter. It's TalkingTickets.substack.com. That's my weekly newsletter on all things tickets. The Business Value is my home for strategy and branding. You can get that at Business of Fun or Business or you can get everything if you sign up with a little pop up box at DaveWakeman.com. Check out DaveWakeman.com. There's going to be some new workshops, some new ways to work with me, all kinds of new stuff, and a lot of stuff. It just takes me a little longer than I wish it would to get everything completed and posted, Um, but workshops in London, New York, um, Sydney, all kinds of great places and great things coming up later on this year. So back to Paul. So Paul Bailey, we talk about – Metaphor, we talk about the 95-5 rule, we talk about the difference between B2C and B2B, we talk about uh, penetration pricing, uh, 60-40, challenges in branding, sales activation versus brand building, uh, setting objectives, travel, um, memorable moments and associated memorable moments, personalized marketing. Uh, We talk about some examples, Patagonia, Ben & Jerry's, uh, brand purpose and meaning, all distinctive brand assets. We got to a whole lot of stuff. This is a really great uh, episode for people, not just in the world of tickets and entertainment, but anybody who digs brand. So give this one a listen and let me know what you think. I would like to welcome Paul Bailey to the Business of Fun Paul podcast. Paul, how are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
2: Oh, I'm hanging in there. This is, uh, <laughs> is going to be great. You have... Um, you have so generously uh, allowed yourself to be uh, my first guest on, like, what maybe you will become a brand season of the podcast. Because I was telling you before, I have been um, asked to teach a class at for executive MBAs. I'm um, still that side of the paperwork. So I won't say, tell everybody who the, what the school is just yet, but this is going to be part of – the things I share with the students. So, so I'm really grateful to have somebody uh, whose work I really respect uh, come on the podcast. And we we're going to talk about brand. I even wrote questions, which is unusual for me. So this is this has been great. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long-winded way to get there. Um, so I want to start out by um, asking you to share your definition of brand, um, and the way that I learned it was that everybody needs to have their own definition for what a brand is. That way, it helps you do your job as a marketer and a brander um, better. Uh, just to give you a second to collect your thoughts, I tell everybody my definition is that your brand is the accumulation of all of the interactions you have with your market, good and bad, over time, with the understanding that the good stuff adds up slowly, and the bad stuff can knock get, can knock you down in a moment
1: well that well that's a good uh, definition so but um
2: maybe that's why they want me to be a teacher i don't
1: know. yeah yeah i can <laughs> i can see why now um so my uh, I, I thought this was a brilliant first question because it's it's i mean i could literally talk about this question forever but um i, I think the first thing to say is what i just want to say what, what you've already said actually which is i I don't think there that this is my definition of brand. I don't think there and I'm not saying this is the definition of brand, because I don't think there can be one universal definition. Um, everyone has a different take on it. everyone has a different understanding of it. Um, I think some are some are better than others. Um, but you know, I think th- the only thing I ever say with clients is, Um, this is our definition of brand it doesn't matter we're not saying that this is the only one but this is what we we say means brand when we're when we're working together as long as everyone understands brand means the same thing when they work together then it's fine so um, I, i i i have two definitions because i think brand brand and branding are two slightly different things. So I I would describe a brand as the the meaning or the feelings that are associated with a business or organization or a person um, that are in perpetual evolution through the interaction of people, things, and ideas. How I describe branding is I describe branding as the communicative elements that reflect, represent, and reframe a brand in and for its current and desired future environments. Yeah. Because- I, I, Oh. No, I was, I was just going to say, I think, so rather than objects of exchange, which brands used to be, I think that, um, that a brand now is the sum total of relationships among the stakeholders. So, a brand is a dynamic object in movement that develops through time from the relations of multiple agents, whether that's um, people, things, and ideas. Now, what what h- how I define things and ideas are there two kind of sides to the brand. So, things the things of a brand are like the appearance, the language, the product, the symbols, the imagery. The ideas of a brand are the principles, the reason for being, its history, its personality, its aspiration. And, and this is why I say that really, um, I I use this term associated memorable moments. Mm-hmm. So So I always say that your brand is shaped through associated memorable moments. What they are are moments in time that people will remember and will associate with one another. That's how your brand is continually shaped.
2: I think that is a great explanation and a great definition. And one thing I'm curious about, I didn't even put it in my notes or maybe it did, I don't think so, um, because you talked about meaning. Um, For a brand. And, you know, and I agree 100 percent that brands are living things. Right. Because it it sort of goes with my definition where like if you have like start having these bad interactions with the market, your brand equity can go away, which, you know, I think a good example, even as we're recording this, which is the first of February 2023, is like the last like two or three months of Tesla because they were so tightly connected mm-hmm. to Elon Musk's personal brand that when he started acting like a, yep. a bell end, I guess since I'm talking to a, a British guy, <laughs> um, it undermined their brand very rapidly. And you saw it yep. in the data. The data was very clear, like starting from like October 15th or thereabouts when uh, Elon Musk took over Twitter, the brand associations, um, the brand meaning, all those things, uh, they took a hit and it was a, invisible in data and customer preference. But that was not the question. Um, the question I wanted to ask you was about um, understanding that you know that brands have meaning and that, that's your point of view. Um, does that mean brands have purpose or is that like, you know, in that whole idea around brand purpose? Because, I mean, I see these things every day on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter where somebody's like, "What? oh, the fifth P is purpose or I've got eight new P's or something. Uh, in my <laughs> feelings, I'm curious to hear your feelings about brand purpose. And then I can go on a rant in a second. <laughs> <laughs> the space. Yeah. Is so.
1: So I, I think I think a brand. OK, so I think a brand is 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 shaped around a shared meaning. So what I mean by that is there has to be some degree of meaning that is shared between the business and all the people who are connected to it. Um, to For there to be a brand. So I think a good thing, a good thing to make this point is, um, you know, when we talk about a lot of marketing that has become prevalent in the last ten to fifteen years of, you know, very personalised marketing, mm-hmm. um, that you you're, you might you might want to give people personalised messages, but you don't want people to have personalised opinion on a brand because a a brand is about Fame, a brand is about being known for something. Mm-hmm. So unless your brand is known for something, and, and the example I, I always give is, in the UK, Volvo is known for being safe. Now, everyone everyone knows that Volvo it represents safety. Um, you know, you can, you can have any sort of number of brands that have uh, at the top level, what is it that they represent? And this shared meaning is what's shaping the brand. Now, is that brand purpose? No, I, I'm not a fan of brand purpose at all. Um, I th- I think brand purpose is a tricky subject because it it means different things to different mm-hmm. people. I would define brand purpose as a form of social or cultural purpose that a brand is working towards. Yeah. Now, the trouble with brand purpose is all too often the associated business. So that by associated business, I mean the business that is linked to the brand doesn't really support the purpose of that brand throughout all of its actions. Because it's it's important to note that the business is not the brand. So, you know, they're inextricably linked, but they are not one and the same thing. If a business genuinely lives the brand purpose, so there are there are businesses out there and brands out there like Patagonia, like Ben and Jerry's, who 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 do it well, then brand purpose has validity. It it has it has um, it, it it's being backed up, so it it makes sense. If it if it isn't backed up by every action of that business then the brand purpose is empty. Brand purpose is worse than worthless. Yeah. Because if you claim something that people align with through a brand and then they discover that the business isn't supporting that claim, you are going to feel a backlash very swiftly and you will deserve it. Um, in, in the terms of brand purpose, I, I also want to um, bring – if you don't know him there's a guy called nick asprey and his writing on brand purpose on the last couple of years is brilliant um so yeah i think i think what i would say about brand purpose is i i think that brand purpose has become popular in the last 10 or 15 years Mm -hmm. because um our role as consumers Is subsuming our role as citizens. I think that a social and cultural purposes would be better served through people's role as citizens and not as their role as a consumer.
2: Yeah, that's interesting that you put it like that because I read, I've been reading this book and I'll hold it up here for you to see it's called the midnight kingdom and it kind of talked this by uh jared yates sexton and it talks about sort of the way that capitalism um influenced that like made people become like less involved in citizen citizenry and became more consumerists, and yeah. that's had knock-on effects and I, I i would agree with that um because you know it, it's um you know i'm writing an article for Work right now about uh, pricing power and marketing um and taking back the pricing power in their organizations um and the part of it's like that signal right like so our, our consumer choices now have become the signals that are the things we would do in our community used to be mm-hmm. at least the um the way i think i saw that period after the second world war which was kind of like I guess like peak democracy where people were you know like people were active civically engaged and like you know really trying to build a better world um what i do want to follow up with you about here though is you talked about um uh, is this balance between saying and doing because if you if you do the research right or if you read the research uh there's no doubt that people say that they want a brand to be purposeful, or they want—they don't want the the, the things, that the product, the companies that they buy from to be jackasses, <laughs> in <is> a way <laughs> of putting it. But then you see what they do, and they—and it, it shows that like purpose is at best a tiebreaker. Um, is um. And I, I'm felt, to I think about how. Oh yeah, go ahead. Good, I, you I, bailed I, me out of a question. Thank you.
1: No, because I, I think I think what you what you're what you're touching on there is it. This this actually touches on. It's actually. I think this is actually a wider problem with marketing and marketing um, research, which is the, the, the types of research that are done sometimes don't help with what you're trying to do. So the the question, the, I think what you're talking about is the, the, the questionnaires that go out or, or the, the, the responses to surveys that come back and say like, you know, 87% of people will buy from a business who, has their purpose or whatever well that is fine but it's a very different thing what people say they will do and what people actually yeah. do mm-hmm. it's it's totally different so I think what the, there's loads of really good um uh, books on this which is which basically say look what what people say they'll do when they're when they're not in the situation of doing that thing so say, saying to someone mm-hmm. would you would you buy sausages that are ethically sourced and all that sort of stuff when they're in a when they're in a, a room or uh, uh wherever they are that's away from the the moment of having mm-hmm. to buy sausages yeah. they're like they're like of course i would do that of course i would buy uh, ethical sausages I'm, I'm not a horrible person but but, but no well, animals
0: then, suffering for me, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: But then you but then take them to the actual moment of purchase, and there's all these other things that play in the head, like mm-hmm. price, like price and and um distribution. Like, oh, well, I can't get hold of that one, so I'm going to get this one. There's all sorts of factors at play that aren't at play when they're asked the question, yeah. and I think that that kind of research is just so it. It, and then how it's presented is so, um, I don't know, I find it quite depressing, to be honest.
2: We, I, what I know, because, I mean, and this was sort of one of the things I, I definitely wanted to talk to you about was the research aspect, right? That was like sort of um, a thing that we were—we had gone back and forth discussing because it's so hard to find it done well. Um, but I don't think people understand how if you, you can game a survey pretty easily through the way you ask the questions or the way you present the data it does and a lot of times it's not even intentional in my experience it's not like somebody sets out to be like "Well, i'm going to show that brand purpose is the thing because well I, you know i need a thing it's that they're looking at their research they do this thing they maybe ask a kind of faulty question or they um, leave something open-ended that maybe they wanted a yes or no. You know the survey maybe just might not be designed very well, and then all of a sudden you've here and you've invested all this time and energy in this research. You gotta have some insights out of the thing, and that's where, at least in my experience, a lot of this comes from. It's comes out of like, well, I've done all this work. I gotta have something to show for it. But yeah. I'm, I'm curious about your experience there.
1: Um, so, so my my experience with research is so I, so I I, I actually went back to study um well this is years ago now but i i went back to study for my masters in brand um at uh, goldsmiths university in london um and that taught me how to research how to ethically research how to research without um writing leading questions all sorts of all sorts of things like that the research i see now uh, you know I'll, I'll see i'll see an article come up and it'll be like oh 87% of people think they need brand purpose or whatever mm-hmm. you 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 look into that research a tiny bit and you uncover the the worst like i don't know whether it's a fact of people not having the training in being able to, uh, like you, like you said, I don't think they're trying to like do it badly. I think they're just doing it badly. Um, I think that research is a really interesting topic because, um, we, we, I work for a, a brand agency. We have lots of clients who have lots of research. So, um, The thing that I find is too many clients of mine over the years have hundreds and hundreds of pages of research sitting in a desk drawer or sitting on a PDF on their computer. The trouble is they don't know what matters in the research and what doesn't matter in the research. They've commissioned research with no purpose or no focus. Now. Research is very important, but what is infinitely better is to research the vital. So, what I mean by that is to have a hypothesis of something that you might like to happen and then do backwards market research. Um, yeah. so I don't know if you know backwards market research, but I
2: I wrote an article on it uh, for a for a trade publication. Oh, well, there you ago. go.
1: <laughs> but but I think I think that that type of research is so useful because you start with some kind of focus, mm-hmm. and then you work backwards to either prove or disprove yeah. the hypothesis, and you you it it works really well, and then at the end of it, you've you've got the research you need, and that's it.
2: That's right. Um, and that's, uh, um, I think you may have done the mini MBA in marketing. No, I'm, I'm not think. sure. Yeah. And that's like yeah. what Mark teaches us is like yeah. to do it backwards, right? It's like you start with the question you're looking to answer. You figure out how that thing's going to show up. And then and you design your survey around the, fir- the answers to the first two questions. And yeah. it's, um, it, you know, I think, and I'm curious, and this will be a question to you too. I'm, it doesn't work 100% of the time because nothing does. Uh, the hit rate though on it is probably in my experience 90%. Right. You get something, you get what you're looking for, or you get pretty close to what you're looking for. Um it's very rare that I sit there and go, oh, my God, I still
1: don't have any clue what I'm looking at. But you know, you
2: you might you might have a different you know, experience.
1: I, I I found found a similar experience. I think most of the time it 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 gives you <laughs> It gives you an it gives you an answer most of the time. Now sometimes it doesn't give you the answer that you might be wanting, but that's yes, the point. That's, yes. that's the point of doing it. So, um, right, you know, um, we we've, we we. Well, do it. see
2: that a lot, right? Which is that people ask design the survey, or they ask the questions, or they put their thumb on the scale just enough to get the answer they're looking for. Now that is what I do see that sort of bad research but most of this brand purpose stuff it's not intentionally set out to be bad it just ends up being bad yeah um, so i want to clarify that difference because i do see i see tons of that where i could tell they've designed the survey right away to get the answer they're looking for
1: yeah that is true but i mean we 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 do a we do a, a fair amount of research at halo and um like through other um agencies and we we, um, I think, one good example would be for a client who we were actually doing some research on their distinctive brand assets. So we were we were looking to find out. We we were being tasked with um, uh, a redesign of their packaging and and, and their brand. Now we were. <laughs> it was quite funny actually because it was a it was a very short time frame that we were working to so uh, as as a lot of projects seem to be but (laughs) but but we were we were so the studio was working on these like new designs and coming up with like new logos and things like that and i i put out some some um, questions to to a, a representative sample group and then the the responses came back about the distinctive assets and which assets were actually distinctive and which assets were were actually like um very important to keep and the, the one that came back was their logo was over 80 percent of people recognize their logo mm-hmm. and we were like basically i just like ran into the studio was like look i'm not being funny guys but you know all that work you've done and designing new logos scrap it <laughs> because we, we, we can't change the logo yeah what we actually did in the end was we sat down and we were like okay we can't visibly change the logo but we can recraft it so that it looks better and looks um, more modern and that's what we did and we, we we're still working with them now rolling out the, the global global rebrand so it's it it really does work i mean research is such a powerful tool it's mm-hmm. um just not used very well that much i don't think
2: yeah and and this distinctive brand asset thing i'm glad you brought it up because i, I didn't even have again i didn't even have this in my notes but this was like a, a a back something i put in my newsletter on friday this friday and then there was a back and forth on twitter because one of the colleges pretty famous college in the states uh their football team changed the color of orange like that you know and to be like similar to pretty much all the other oranges that <laughs> that everybody uses and all these like sports marketers were trying to justify it and i go like you spend decades and decades building up an association with a distinct color of orange and then all of a sudden you go ah screw it when i, ch- I changed that color orange that's like You've thrown away decades and decades of an of an asset because it's a it was a distinct orange and now it's just a normal orange and that will have a knock on effect so like knowing that eighty percent of your logo uh people will the logo that's that's helpful because I think people underestimate how important their brand assets are and then how like repetition just makes them stick in people's minds and if you change, you can change you can tweak them a little bit. Right. Or you should even play with them a little while, but you have to probably get to this point where you have 80 percent of people knowing who they are to be able to mess with anything, because then people will notice that you messed with it. And that's yeah. maybe what you want to do. Um, but let me get back to like on, on task here, because what we were going to talk <laughs> about was a lot of this research and, and um, some important things that I think play in all this stuff that we talked about so far. And I want to talk about start at the top of the funnel. Because most of the time when we hear conversations like we're having here, uh, there's so much focus on bottom of the funnel. Uh, You you know, last click attribution is never going to die. People are still like totally wed to it. Um, And I think that probably your training is um, uh, better but similar to mine. And we know that like a lot of this last act, the investment in last click attribution and short term sales activation comes at the expense of awareness and top of funnel brand awareness. Um, I'm curious to hear how you explain the need for both the people, especially when it's so easy to, you know, see those numbers clicking up in the short term from the sales activation campaign. So people can go, Hey, why do I need to invest in this brand stuff with the other side of that being there's so many bad definitions and so many ham handed uh, conversations about brand that people when they're making the decisions, especially CFOs, they can go. It sounds like BS to me.
1: Well, okay, so I I think the the funnel is a, an extremely useful and powerful metaphor, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, and and we we use it. We 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 use it in our work in terms of how we help marketers plan out their channels and their comms and we allocate their comms and channels to a part of the funnel. And then we we use them. Some of them are top, some of them are middle, some of the bottom, etc. The funnel is a very powerful metaphor, but people seem to forget how a funnel works. Because a funnel only (laughs) works if you stick things in the top of it. (laughs) That's, That's how a funnel works. So trying some only... of it
0: spills over the side
1: yeah i know so i, I, I i've been in i've been so many meetings with marketers and they, they talk about you know feeding in the bottom of the funnel i'm like do you know how a funnel works really so you know um, only trying to do marketing that focuses on the bottom of the funnel is just crazy it's insane um you know you know that um, uh, you know les Benet and peter field and their work on on the, the short the short term and long term is you know it's i mean it's brilliant work and how they've identified the the various um, things i think uh, last year lesbenae actually came out and said look there isn't re- like, this this delineation between short term sales activation and long term brand building that Yes, there's some things that are specifically short-term sales. There's some things that are specifically long-term brand building. Most communication is a bit of both. It's you know it it has to be. If you've got long-term brand building um, activations and um, long-term brand building, you can um, you can make that more effective in the short term as well. So, mm-hmm. I think that there's there's as well as peter and les there's another bit of work that's been done by the linkedin b2b team uh, which was the 95 to 5 rule which was that for a b2b audience or for a b2b business 95 percent of your audience aren't in the market for your stuff right now now that's not to say that they won't be interested in what you have to offer in a month or in six months or in a year. Mm -hmm. So the thing is when they are interested, have you laid the groundwork by placing the right brand associations in their head? If you're not feeding the top of the funnel, you're not going to see customers moving through the funnel and becoming sales. That is how a funnel works.
2: Right. And now they've even updated it to be ninety nine and one in a economic downturn, which is like yeah. most people are not in the market right now. And so the the goal shouldn't be to like going, let me just kill that one percent. It's like going let me set the groundwork. Right. And I think yeah. that um, becomes where for B2B people, which we haven't really even touched on, excess share of voice actually comes into play. Because it's going to be cheaper for you yeah. to invest in some of these assets and some of these associations right now, and it will pay off. And if you continue to invest, you, it will pay off in the short and, and long term. Because I did not know that Les said this about um, how some of it, some of it is a bit of both short and long. Yeah. But I actually yeah. in the article I think I mentioned writing earlier, I, I talk about that. I go the investment in your brand pays off now and in the future, right? Yeah, exactly. But I didn't even know that there was that the research backed it up. I just knew that from my own experience, which is like, oh look, if you're spending money on, you know, branding, people still are buying today. It's just that like it sustains that level and actually grows it over time because those associations continue to strengthen. And so the next thing you know, you, you know, your reflex is I'm going to buy Bose headphones and not some other brand. Right. I'm going to buy a new iPhone and not an Android device, you know, because those things have become so tightly wound in your head. Uh, So that's great that that's actually research to back it up. And the LinkedIn folks uh, do some great stuff because I've taken that bit of research and take, shown it to people, too, because I go, look, you're not investing in your brand. And this is part of the reason you're having a problem because your brand equity is sliding. Um,
0: You know, so that's. And I think. And the the, the thing is.
1: Just one more thing on the on that that sixty forty um, split is that actually, Mark Ritson has done a bit of work, um, uh, or, or he get, he gave a talk where he was talking about, and I think he might have been talking about some work that Les and, and Peter did, um, but the sixty forty split it it isn't like it's an average, so it, there are differences. W- um Within um, differences yeah. with mm-hmm. cate- categories are different, but there's also differences, <coughs> excuse me, there's also differences in the age of the business.
2: Correct. So there was a cool, like, tool online that I saw, I don't know where I could find it now, where you could put it in the variables and it would give you the split.
1: Uh, okay. Be yeah. Good. yeah. Yeah. It because, was really great. I have to find yeah, it. I though. mean, what, what what Mark was saying was that the, a new business, the 60-40 split actually flips. So there's there's a 60% you should spend on short-term activations because you need to get some money in the door, um, but 40% is spent on brand building. Then within the first, by the time you're sort of two, three years old, it flips back to like, or gradually turns over time. It should mm-hmm. be 60% on, on your um, brand building and 40% on your short-term activations. So... I think that that kind of ratio is—it's just a good guide. It all it is is a guide, but it's a good guide.
2: Yeah. Well, and I would be curious to ask you about this then, because you know, I know you know all these guys and their work, and you know, and it's like tremendous stuff. And if if this is the first time people are um, hearing any of these names, go Google them, go find all of their stuff because it's amazing work. And, uh, you know, it definitely influences me and like knowing their work and, you know, getting to engage with them uh, has made me a better marketer for sure. Um, but what happens is I think that like the 60-40 thing or even, you know, like B2B might be 50-50. What I found in my work is that most of the time the underinvestment in branding is supposed to be that even if you can get ten or fifteen percent of your budget allocated to specific brand building exercises, um, you're going to be far ahead of the competition because most people have—they're just obsessed with the short-term sales activation. Yeah. It's like they don't even know where to begin to look and see. Like, going, well, well, is that the wisest decision? No, we just got to do it now, 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 and it, it's become such almost a reflex. But you know, but yeah. and and I, I mean, I I see so little brand investment so often.
1: That it's alarming. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think with our our clients, I think so. So we we do work for both B two C and B two B. Now B two C um, is B two our B two C clients are a lot better at doing brand building communications because they know they have to build the brand, and um, bec- just through years of experience, um, so they're better. B2B clients, in, in the main, they, they seem to rely on sales teams um, doing sales activation. They, they, they don't look to build a brand. Now, we spend a lot of time and energy persuading clients that, that to, to create, uh, to shape a famous, make your brand more famous. It, it's worth the money now we're not saying that you need to make everyone know about your brand what we're saying mm-hmm. is you need to make your audience know about your brand mm-hmm. we we use i wrote an article on this but we i use a term say that's um to make your brand niche famous that's what you need mm-hmm. to be niche niche famous find find your niche and get famous within it but yeah, we, we struggle to get clients out of the, the sales um cycle, really. Yeah. And
2: this this is this is where I'll, I'll get a chance to like offer up a nice little rant. I don't know if I'll get to use my famous my most famous line, but I may. This is gonna be great. It's that when I deal with B2B people and sometimes even B2C people, um, they'd rather push penetration pricing instead of something that works. And, you know, if, if I can get people to to stop the penetration pricing nonsense, it, it would be a great victory because I don't think people understand how hard it is that without the investments in your brand, it is to raise your price.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I didn't. I, I, I'll save the line for later because, you know, discount, <laughs> uh, for d- discounts are for dummies. Uh, but that's, that's that'll come later.
1: <laughs> but. but, but, but. But discount, but discounting is for dummies. Like the, to to <laughs> to dis to discount, it's just it's the first step on this slippery slope down to the bottom. That's it.
2: Yeah, it's uh, the fastest way to destroy any brand investment you 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 spent is to discount. And um, yeah, I uh, you know I I, I sat. And the thing that Mark was doing, Mark Ritson was doing, and he said, oh, I try to be absolute on it, but I know that it's impossible. And I go, I'm absolute on it. I go, you just don't do it because I have s- found over and over again that as soon as I say, well, you can do it this one way or do it this other way. Uh, as soon as I open the door, it never gets closed and people just um, they lose their minds over it. So I, I am absolute as- on it. you just don't discount if you have to. um change the price you can lower it you can raise it um add some stuff to it but you can't discount and it's not because you can't discount it's because you must be careful about it and people just aren't because they in the short term you do see a little you see a boost what it is is that people who are going to buy anyway have just been kind of dragging their feet because of life they go oh i'm going to get that now you know because i saw the the sale, which would have happened just if you had probably spent some money on some brand level advertising, but you would have got that boost of 10, 15, 20% that you were um, that you're now cutting the price at.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, don't get me started on, on the discounting and the pricing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when we're, when we're talking about these things like 60, 40 rule and, and, you know, the different splits and the difference between the top and the bottom of the funnel, Um, I want to turn it back around to um, research because this is the sort of thing. Um, How do you use your research to help show people the wisdom of, you know, investing in the brand and investing, you know, all the way up and down the funnel? Because I think sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's easy to fixate on one specific number, which is like, oh, people are clicking through this link, you know, 40% of the time. This is amazing. Um, You know, how do you explain the relation and that this is also a cheat because I need I want to learn how other people do this well.
1: Well I think the the challenge is well the challenge is varied because people have different takes on it. But I think one big take on it is I think you touched on it earlier is this last click attribution. I think last click attribution is just a disastrous idea that is just um it, it's just distorts everything. Um, because what 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 the last click attribution does is that that last click takes credit for everything else that has mm-hmm, happened yep. before. So it, it, it's a it's a crazy way of measuring, and it, and I I just try to explain to people what what the kind of what the brand does and what the process of buying something is. The fact, if the fact that you would attribute anything to the last click is just, just crazy. It's nonsense. Yeah. So, I I just try to explain why why that is such a bad idea, um, and and also that the the similarly with the sales activation stuff and the, and the, and the brand building stuff. You know, I think. I try to talk about brand as I think the big problem people have with brand is um, when, when you say um, like sales activation versus brand building, on the one hand, you've got sales activation. Now, the finance and the CEO and the, the, the CFO, they can see the benefit of a sale because it's a sale. It's money in the bank. The brand building part of it, they don't see the benefit because it's like, well, okay, so I'm building a brand. So what? What what benefit does that give me? What why mm-hmm. is that why is that a good thing? Why is that going to help my business? Mm-hmm. I, t- I saw something last year which was a nice little turn of phrase, which was about brand as the um as gener- the generator of future demand, which I think is a great little um, phrase. So, yes, a sales activation might de- de- uh, might produce sales tomorrow, but building a brand, what you're doing is you are generating future demand for yeah. your brand, which is amazing.
2: Well, I think that's what's important for people to pay attention to. You know, the the, stud- the long and short of it, study. Or like the work that, you know, that Mark's highlighting or, you know, it's because now there's a pretty good library of research, too, that shows that like, oh, look, if you started just from scratch and you said, oh, what am I going to do? And you said, oh, I'm going to put it all in sales activation for about six. And this is my experience, at least. And then I think the research backs up to an extent that to a large extent is like for the first six months or so things will go game right? Because everybody still has all the brand associations and all of this, you know, brand building that has been done maybe for years and decades before. If you stop investing in your brand though, the drop-off starts to hit around nine to 12 months. And what in the first indication is that like, you know, you start to see those activation numbers decline, right? They're still probably fairly effective, um, this year two, it becomes you starts getting drastic. and then by year three, um if you're the CMO or like the VP of marketing, you're looking for a new job because um, hmm. it's almost impossible to really make a move product at the price you've set up. And fortunately, there's now research that backs it up because for a long time, yeah, you'd be sitting there doing project uh, projects, and the CFO would be like,', well, yeah, I don't understand why we're spending this money on this, and you wouldn't have any numbers to back it up but now there are numbers to back it up and that that's the encouraging thing because if you are smart enough to just take a step back and say what are we what am i trying to do if i'm trying to do if i know i'm like the average cmo and i'm going to be gone in 18 months or so then yeah sales activation yolo and just go on and get your next job if you want to be there for a long term then yeah you need to go like look We have to think of this as like a three to five year process. And what we have to do is make sure our brand is stable, you know, and that we're supporting our brand. Because what we're going to see is that this brand is going to take things up like this, but it's not going to go in a straight line. It's going to go "Eh, eh, eh." and then in years three, four, five, you'll see it exceed anything you would have imagined if you had just spent um, on activation.
1: Yeah, and I think I think one big thing there is, uh, and and this is the responsibility of a, the the marketing director or the CMO or whatever. It's the, it's really important to set the objectives, so to set what your goals are, because if the only thing you measure is um, sales, then then y- your brand activity is going to look like it's not having an impact. But if you're measuring brand awareness, if you're measuring things like that, then you you can show that um, there is change, there is improvement. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's really important when you when you set off on uh, a, a something like this is define what you are measuring, decide mm-hmm. what you are measuring, yeah. because otherwise uh, the business will default to measuring sales, and then that that won't have the impact that you want in the short term
2: right and what you're talking about just because people struggle with this idea if you're talking about a simple brand tracking survey and i'm curious uh, right i mean i'm just oh i don't want to put words in your mouth but that you know and i'm saying it that way it's because i go in and explain it to people all the time I go, you got to do some brand tracking and i go it sounds scary What, what i've just said is probably something that's confusing to a lot of people it's just a survey. And what it is is there's probably part of your survey that never changes because you want to be able to track these variables from year to year to see whether or not they're growing or they're falling. because if they're growing and they you want them to grow, that's great. You probably want to continue to do what led to that. And if they're falling, then you and and you didn't want them to, then you might have you have a problem that you need to identify and fix you know it's that right and your survey probably you know yeah. if you're a huge company maybe might be 20 25 30 questions at the most you know a third of those you know somewhere between seven and ten of them in my experience should go to brand tracking to things like you know what is it what you know what are your alternatives you know um if i give you this list of seven seven brands you know rank them for me um uh, you know when i say x who do you think of right you know like stuff like that so that you know where you are i mean it's that simple it's not hard it's just people get scared of it because i think people don't explain it that that simply to them
1: yeah it it, it's not it's not hard it doesn't have to be expensive at all Mm -hmm. and and but but i would say that that even if even if that level of research is too expensive for you or anything like that, I would suggest that there's a, there's a, an even simpler um, way to track your brand health. And that is in doing share of search. And share of search has been a relatively new development um, by like James Hankins and actually Les Benet as well, the, the pair of them. Um, but share of search is literally just um, measuring or tracking the searches, like Google searches for your brand against a competitive set over time. And you just go to Google Trends, you, you track them, and you can track whether your mm-hmm. whether your um, search term, like your your people who search for your brand name, are just going up or down, and and your competitors are going up or down. It's that simple. Yeah.
2: And um, another one that I use, and if I'm if you don't use it this way, um, I'd be curious, like, you, you know, if you think I'm right or wrong. Another people ha- have a mixed relationship with MPS. But I, I love it because it's like anybody can do it. Right. And it's like it, it's not a perfect measure by any stretch of the imagination. But I use it for all the programs and all the classes and all the everything I do, um, because simply it shows that if um, the number's going up, that people think more highly of you and that your business is probably growing and your brand's probably getting stronger. It's not perfect. And if it's going down the opposite path, you know, it's um, really like a simple thing that you can do for nothing because you can do it in the Google Doc. I mean,
1: yeah, we, so we, we, we use MPS. Um, We we use MPS for, for our research, for Halo and for clients mm -hmm. as well. But What I say about NPS is the actual score that you get is worthless. There is no benefit to that. Don't pay attention to what the score, what the number is. Mm -hmm. The two two reasons that NPS is useful. The first one, like you said, is the trend. Is it going up or is it going down? That's what you need to know. The second reason that NPS is useful is the qualitative feedback that you get. The qualitative feedback is so powerful. We have, we have shaped how we do business through this qualitative feedback. It's been amazing. Mm So, so yeah, I think NPS is great, but the businesses who just show their score on their website, what are they doing? Don't know. Doesn't
2: matter.
1: But, but, the trend and the qualitative uh, feedback it's it's fantastic
2: yeah i would i would would make one concession to showing the score if you have a really good score then you absolutely (laughs) show it you know like i have a um i have a a, you know like I, i do each year i'll do one for like my newsletter and my podcast and i know that like the newsletter and the podcast they sit around and they've been pretty consistent um around between 50 and 65, you know, so like there's a little variance, um, but they're pretty stable, um, you know. So I see like sometimes when you got like a, um, I have a client that and there's a 65 was like on, which is the highest in there amongst their competitors. That I was like, of course, you show that off because I mean, not <laughs> because it means anything; it, this is it's great. that's the only time it matters, <laughs> yeah. Because I would, I would concede,
1: I would concede the only time a score matters is when um in its in its competitive set it's the biggest <laughs> like, Yeah. yes there.
2: exactly right yeah, yeah. Or, or like if you don't have it, like in the way i use it i don't have a competitor set but i te- i use it as a um a point of reference so i'm like going yeah. look you could be like look at this thing it's the, you know I'm, I, I compare myself to like people who do like have bad ones, you know, because it's like uh <laughs> like somebody like uh, you know, I, I think I looked up like one of the ticket companies and they had like a minus fifteen and I was like, minus fifty. <laughs> mean, see how great I am. <laughs> so it's like also important, like who do you frame it against? You know, yeah,
1: exactly. It's,
2: it's completely pointless. It's the trend uh, is what matters and, and yeah and then that yeah. feedback. Those those things are super awesome. Um
1: yeah.
2: Paul, I think I think we did cover everything. Um, even though I didn't ask it, not a single one of the questions I, <laughs> I said I was going to ask you. Um, and where do people find you?
1: Um, so I'm on Twitter, Paul Mark yep. Bailey. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, just Paul Bailey at uh, Halo. Um, uh, we're a UK brand yep. agency. Um, yeah, LinkedIn and Twitter is where I spend most of my time. So um,
2: I should have wore one of the T-shirts. People have to buy the T-shirts. And they buy have, the
1: T-shirts. Exactly, you buy the you damn can... T-shirts. Mine says come, come "Start to our... with." No one
2: gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> come,
1: come, come to the website, and you can buy a T-shirt as well.
2: Yeah, you we, gotta I didn't, get I didn't,
1: one. I didn't talk about the T-shirts. Oh, god. No,
2: let's talk about the T-shirt for a second because those things are awesome.
1: <laughs> so the T-shirts were an idea that we had last year to 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 just get out there um, some well some well worn uh, marketing phrases and the whole point is for people to get things on their chest that's the point
2: yeah yeah but have it, a look it, have
1: a look at the website some
2: really cool ones I, I i was like there were so many i could have picked. I could have cho- there, there's so many to choose from i, I was like one i want to start with no one gives a shit except for then i was like going that one's hard to wear around like normal, like normally, but <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's that That's matter. True. It made me laugh. So I was like, nah, now I have to get another one because, um, I need one. I can just wear around more regularly, but uh, you yeah, yeah, no, yeah. they're, they're great. They're, they come in like a really awesome blue color. Uh, you know, so, or at least mine did. And, uh, so it's great. So, yeah. uh, but Paul, I want to thank
1: you so, so that, much they, for doing this. They're, a, they're available in every color, as long as it's blue.
2: Yeah, okay. Just like with IBM, it's like you wear whatever you want to as long as it's gray. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, thanks for doing this.
1: No problem.
0: Let me know what you thought of my conversation with Paul by sending me an email. This is my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. Check out my website. It's DaveWakeman.com where you'll find uh, everything. You'll be able to keep up with me. Uh, You can sign up for newsletters and everything. Or you can go directly to TalkingTickets.Substack.com and get the newsletter. Uh, businessofvalue.substack.com to get the strategy and marketing newsletter. Uh, check out these upcoming workshops, New York, London, Sydney, Melbourne. Dates, programs to come. Um, just juggling my schedule due to a couple of things that just got put into the mix. Uh, and that's okay. I didn't mean it. Um, make sure you check out my friends at Cover Genius, uh, the new Cfar. Product that we have been talking about lately, uh, cancel for any reason, uh, has been gaining a lot more importance to people because the data on what is driving customer decision buying decisions right now uh, shows that uh, giving people the peace of mind that something like CIFAR offers uh, can become even more valuable in this current environment where people just don't know with any certainty if they're going to be uh, able to go to a show. Um, Economic uncertainties, health uncertainties, all kinds of uncertainties. Uh, this is exactly what Cifar has been designed to do. So check out Cover Genius at CoverGenius.com. Uh, make sure you say hi to Joe and Haley, um, Chris, the entire Cover Genius team at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Birmingham uh, in March. Let's tell them I said hello. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it yet. Still a little up in the air, but. Uh, Just in case, though, you will be able to see the cover genius, folks. Um, As always, thank you so much for being here. Um, I couldn't do it without you. If you dig the podcast, rate it, review it, share it. It helps a lot. Uh, And until next time, I'll talk to you soon. Take it easy.